You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. directly by God, God had empowered him. He was surrounded by a band of men whose hearts God had touched and they wanted to be faithful to him. Everything was in his favor from the beginning to the end. Step by step though, he started to decline. His conduct, his character, until everything went away from him. He stopped looking to God because he never had a relationship in the first place. There is a great temptation to overlook the good favor of God. If you're comfortable in life, it's all too easy to ignore God, claim responsibility for the good, and become prideful and full of sin. Today, Pastor Dave will encourage you to recognize the true source of all good things and humbly trust God in all moments. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 31 as he continues his message, and in the end... to make sure there was not any relative of Saul around. All of them had to be wiped out. Why? Secession. Monarch secession. The king dies. Whoever's first in line gets to be king. So the king, all the sons had to die. All the relatives had to die. There could be no male heir to the throne. So God had to allow them to be wiped out. He had a circumvent. They tried to circumvent the rights of secession. He was worried about that. But what really bothers me about Jonathan is we read in 1 Samuel 23 how Jonathan basically pledged his faith to David and basically said, listen, when you're king, we'll rule together. You know, there was kind of a a, a camaraderie there, and Jonathan was kind of saying, this is going to be great. He knew David would be king. Jonathan knew David would be king. He knew David was ordained and already anointed king. And Jonathan said, we'll rule together. But it wasn't to be because God had him killed with the others. The battle was fiercely fought. And these archers, boy, of the Philistines, they got Saul. They hit him several times and they wounded him. They got him. Now Saul's lying there and he's hurt. He knows he's mortally wounded, but he's afraid. Why is he afraid? Because back in those days, when the enemy came up on an army, even dead army men, when they found the king, they chopped them up. They would chop them up and then run around the corners and drag their bodies and hang their heads on poles and all kinds of stuff. And Saul didn't want to be awake when they found him. He didn't want to be alive for them to abuse him, it's called. They didn't want them to be abused. They had a way of humiliating their victims. It's like stomping on them when they're dead. So he asked his armor bearer to kill me. Run your sword through me. But I think this was a very young man. Armor bearer is usually a young man. And I think he was afraid. The scripture says he was afraid, and he couldn't do it. So Saul basically killed himself. Saul basically fell on his own sword. The rest of the army flees away. Flees away. And if we read 1 Samuel 31, 7, 
Look there, it says, And when the men of Israel were on the other side of the valley, and those who were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. They were so afraid, they left everything behind. They hightailed it out of there. They got out of there. They were afraid. It's a shame that nobody was trusting in God. Nobody was trusting in God during all this. Nobody was trusting in God. You can read the same thing over in 1 Chronicles 10, verses 8 through 10. It's the exact same thing. Or 7. And when the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. The Philistines came and dwelt in them. Philistines came and got these cities back. They were having a grand old time. The end is not pretty for Saul. He loses all honor, even in death, because the Philistines eventually get there, and they basically chop him up. They basically tear his body apart, and they have it all over the place. They, they have great joy in tearing apart this king who they've hated. They strip off his armor. They chop off his head. They take it and put it in their temples, and they take it and, and put it in other places. Look at 1 Samuel 31, 8 to 10. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboa. And they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. They abused him. All to see. It was a great time for the Philistines. They were hooting and hollering and having a great time. This was wonderful. They defeated Israel, their dreaded enemy. They defeated him. But Saul had made some friends while he was king. He made a few friends while he was king. And some of them were in a place called Jabez Gilead. Look at verse 11 to 13 here. Now when the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and traveled all night took the body of Saul and the bodies of the sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So they treat the bodies with honor. They go pick them up. They go pick them up and they take them back. They heard. Their hearts were stirred with compassion. Because if you remember in 1 Samuel 11, in 1 Samuel 11, one of the things that Saul did 40 years earlier, he delivered Jabesh Gilead from the hand of the Amorites, and they never forgot it. It was almost like, thank you for giving us our freedom. We're going to honor you in your death. We're going to come and honor you. And I think this is a pretty cool thing. They traveled far. They had to come behind enemy lines. It was a long, long way from their city to where Saul and his, and his sons were. The bodies were so mutilated, they had to burn them. They had to burn them to find their rest piece. And they put them under a tamarisk tree. I find that amusing. Only not ha-ha funny, but... How many times did we read in 1 Samuel where Saul sat under a tamarisk tree? You go back and look through the thing. He always sat under a tamarisk tree. It's almost like he found some solace there. Now, he wasn't seeking God under a tamarisk tree. He just liked to sit under a tamarisk tree. But you can look at that. I thought that was pretty cool. But that ends the story of Saul, we think. So we're like, wait, there's got to be more. There's got to be something more to it, and that's why we have to look at 1 Chronicles. Now turn to 1 Chronicles 10, because in 1 Chronicles 10, the writer continues the story in two more verses. There's two more verses in the story. 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 and 14. Let me read it to you. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness. 
faithfulness which he had committed against the Lord. Wow. So they tell you why Saul died. Because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance. In verse 14 it says, But he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Saul died because of unfaithfulness. The story of King Saul was one of great tragedies in the Bible. He was humble at the beginning. Remember, he didn't even want to come out. He didn't even want to come out and be recognized when they anointed him as king. He was hiding. He didn't want to come out. But his failure was disastrous. He had good standing with the nation, conquering. He was a conquering hero for so long. He had been called and commissioned directly by God. God had empowered him. He was surrounded by a band of men whose hearts God had touched and they wanted to be faithful to him. Everything was in his favor from the beginning to the end. Step by step, though, he started to decline. His conduct, his character, until everything went away from him. He stopped looking to God because he never had a relationship in the first place. You can't look for God if you don't know how to look for God. You're not going to find him. You're not going to search for him. It says, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Saul did not have a genuine connection with God. And he did not seek God in the difficulties of times. He took everything upon himself, including his death. He killed himself. He took control of his own death. He killed himself. But in the two, it says, we have a, a different word for the Hebrew word for inquiring. Because there is a place back in when Paul went to the medium, that says he inquired of God. And this is not a problem. It's two different Hebrew words. Two different Hebrew words. For the one in 1 Samuel is the word sha'al, which means to ask and to request. The one in here is dashish, which means to seek and to care. It was all a matter of the heart. You can ask God if your heart's not right. James says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. How do you ask? Amiss. You ask amiss, which means your heart's not right. Your heart's not right, so you're asking amiss. This is what I see happening here. But God is always with us, and he's given us guidance through his Holy Spirit. He's given us spiritual communication. If there is disobedience, the guidance can be withdrawn in this time. Look at David in Psalm 51. What does he say? Lord, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. See, back in the Old Testament, God gave his spirit out and pulled it back, gave his spirit out and pulled it back. But if you're a born-again believer, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. He lives in you. The kingdom would be turned over to David, who was the son of Jesse. God had promised David that he would take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to the man after his own heart. Some, at least 20 years went by that David now would become king. He would be king of Israel. Saul died for his transgressions. And the only thing that I can come up with here is we used to say the worst thing you could say about an up-and-coming baseball player, up-and-coming baseball player coming up in the minor leagues, what was the worst thing you could say about him? He had potential. The worst thing you could say, because they never lived up to their potential. This is Saul. Saul had potential to be a great king. 
He had potential to be a great king. That's why God chose him. He wanted to show the potential that Saul had to be a king. When he first came up, he was humble. He came from a good family. He seemed to be a natural leader. He was courageous. But before long, after he started hearing the songs of Saul slaying his ten thousands, he had a time, hard time getting his helmet on over his head because it kind of swelled a little bit because he started to get prideful. They're talking about me. Aren't I great? Aren't I wonderful? He would walk down the street and say, I'm bad. Yeah, I'm bad. He started believing his press clippings. He began to expect them to send accolades his way. The pride began to get a hold of his life, and it destroyed him. And this can happen to him, you too. It can happen to any of us as pride sneaks in and destroys our life. He became arrogant. He became jealous of David. He wanted to drive David out. And then his disobedience to God's commandment, when God commanded him to wipe out the Ammonites, and he didn't do it. He disobeyed God's command. He disobeyed God's command, which would cause him great pain. He and his three sons died that day on Mount Gaboa. When we look at 1 Samuel, there are several success stories and there are several failures. And I guess I kind of like that about the Bible because the Bible doesn't hide failures. The Bible doesn't hide sin. The Bible shows us the results of sin, shows us that the wages of sin is death. The Bible shows us those things. We know that one of the success stories in the Bible started out with Hannah, a wonderful godly woman who wanted nothing more than a son, and then she gives her son over to be raised in the church. A faithful servant she was, and then Samuel became the prophet of all Israel. But he was raised by a wicked priest, and we know the end result of the wicked priest Eli, because he and his sons also died on the same day. I think it's very, very peculiar, God's plan, that Eli and his sons and Saul and his sons all died on the same day. Not the same day they all died, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. When Eli died, his sons died with him, and then years later, when Saul died, his sons also died with him on the same day. Saul was unstable. Jonathan, his son, was a faithful and generous friend. What a beautiful man. And then you have David, the shepherd boy, who would be king. But I want to end here with something that the Lord showed me. And I've heard before, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a pastor who taught this before, but I think it's important that we look at it. It's about finishing well. It's about finishing well. Saul didn't finish well. He started out really, really good, and he didn't finish well. And in the scriptures, I want to take you to several places and show you two other people who started out good but didn't finish well. I want to take you to two places. First of all, in Genesis chapter 9, in Genesis chapter 9, we see Noah. Noah is called a righteous man by God. He's called blameless. You know the story. God tells them to build an ark, build an ark for a boat, where a place where it never rained. He spends 120 years building this boat. You know the story of the flood and all that kind of stuff. But in Genesis 9, the last time we actually see Noah and read of him, except for the narrative as he cursed his sons, in verse 18, it says, 
Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, and Ham was the father of Canaan. And the three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated, and Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid over it both their shoulders, and went back and covered his father's nakedness. Their faces turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. In other words, the one who saw his nakedness basically made fun of him and kind of laughed. And then he ended up being cursed to Canaan. He was cursed. Noah didn't finish well. This is the last time we hear about Noah. He's drunk, and he's naked. Noah, chosen by God to save the world, to, to repopulate the world, to save eight people in an ark, to come through the flood. He doesn't finish well. He doesn't finish well. The other one is found in Genesis chapter 19. And the man's name is Lot. The man's name is Lot. God rescued Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to rescue the entire family, but the sons didn't want to go. The son-in-laws didn't want to go. They chose not to go. They chose to stay. His daughters went with him, and his wife went with him. And you know, his wife looked back with longing at Sodom, and she was turned to a pillar of salt. But the others escaped. Lot and his two daughters escaped. And in, in chapter 19, we read this account of Lot. We read this account of Lot. Then Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he, he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us as is custom on all earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that they may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight. Also, you go in and lie with him, that he may preserve the lineage of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know that when she lay down or when she got up. Thus, both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. The second son also born, the second younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Two dreaded enemies of Israel. Lot didn't finish well. It's the last time you read of him, except when Jesus talks about him. He didn't finish well. No matter where you are right now in your walk with Christ, you have a chance to finish well. You have a chance to finish well. You have a chance to finish well. It's very important. Run the race to win. Run the race to win. All we're in a race is the marathon. It's not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon. It's a long, long time. We continue to run, but run the race to win. Run like you're going to win because guess what? You're winners. In Jesus Christ. 
You're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You are spotless before God even right now. He sees you spotless because of Jesus Christ, because of his blood. But run like you're going to win. Yes, you might trip over and fall. Get up, brush yourself off, and continue running the race. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Run the race to win. Finish well. We believe here that the time is fast approaching. The time is fast approaching. The prophecies are all lining up. I think one of the neatest things that happened lately is for Trump to declare Jerusalem the capital of Israel. That opens up a world of things. My mind is just being fried about that as I think of the possibilities that that could lead to. But we believe that the hour of the age of grace is fastly coming to a close. It's fastly coming to the close. When it comes to the close, there will be a trump of an angel, and we will be out of here in an instant, in a twinkle of an eye. We'll be raptured to be with the Lord forever. If, yeah, I agree. Let's avoid the rush and go now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've let the blood of the Lamb cleanse you. You will be taken up with him. If you're here playing church, if you're here just doing something out of obligation, or if you're trusting in your own works, own good looks, own good things, that may be good. If you're trusting in those for salvation, you're in for a very big surprise. Because if it happens on a Sunday morning, you might be the only one here. You might be the only one here. We need to finish well. We need to run the race knowing that he can come in any minute. We don't want to be out doing something suspect while he's coming. Can you imagine him coming and you're caught in the midst of a pornographic movie? Can you imagine him coming if you're caught in the midst of shooting yourself with something in your arm? Imagine him coming if you're drunk out of your mind? Can you imagine if he comes at that time? Now, we don't know if you'll be saved or not. It says some will be saved by fire. Some of you are going to get up there and go, whoa, we made it. See, your pants are going to be on fire. Whoa, thank you, Lord. We need to finish well, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what I see. Saul doesn't finish well. And it's sad. It's sad that he does not finish well. We can finish well. You can finish well. You can finish well if you trust in the Lord with all your strength, if you lean not on your own understanding, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, and he's going to direct your path, and then you need to follow that path that he directs. If he says we're going this way, go, no, no, I got a better way. No, go that way. Follow him as he leads. You must be submitted to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in us. The Holy Spirit is God. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. I said it before and I'll say it one more time. Denying the Holy Spirit is denying God. Don't deny God. Don't deny God in your life. You need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has chosen you to live. Without it, you're helpless. Christ said, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do a few things. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And then Paul says, we can do all things through Christ, who is our strength. Finish well, ladies and gentlemen. Finish well. You are a sure.
We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. And it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of A Sure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.